In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis of all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the gold dome. And today we're joined by the AJC's hardworking Tamar Hallerman, our Washington correspondent who had a ridiculously busy week last week. How's it going, Tamar? Great. How are you doing? Good. So we're going to talk about the 7th District, the wide open now seat for the most competitive, the closest U.S. House race in the nation last year is completely wide open now that Rob Woodall um, has announced that he is not seeking another term. Before we get right into the particulars of that, you broke the story, and I want to give our listeners like an idea of how crazy that day was for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, so actually, I, I spent the earlier part of the day getting coffee with Carolyn Bordeaux. She was in in Washington. Um, just meeting with some political groups, just kind of getting her feet wet again after taking some, um, you know, some time after her 433 vote loss to Rob Woodall after, um, you know, in the, the November election. And it was just kind of a, a chatting, get, catching up after all of this. Neither one of us had any idea about what was coming. Um, you know, we'd heard rumors that Bordeaux was eyeing a run at the seat once again. Um, and then we, you know, I, I went on my merry way, got, took a seat at my desk in the Capitol. And then I, I get a call from somebody in Woodall's office saying, check your email. Um, and, and it's a, a statement saying, you know, in, in two hours, Woodall is going to announce he's, he's no longer or he's not going to seek reelection in, in 2020. Um, so I had a little bit of time to start writing. I managed to, to sit down with, with Congressman Woodall in his office for a little bit. Uh, filled out the story and then published it at about 1230 and then all hell broke loose. Um, <laughs> you know, on, on the one hand, we'd heard from some Republicans who were really upset about the way last or how close last year's race was in the seventh. Um, some people grumbled about the way that, that Woodall campaigned. He's very non-confrontational. He, he really hates negative ads. He didn't want to do that. He's kind of a low-key policy geek. And, and he'd always said, I'm not going to negatively campaign. That's, that's not who I am. So there were a lot of folks looking ahead to 2020. They knew that Democrats would be coming at that district really hard. And, um, you know, that there were people trying to convince him if he's going to run again to do it much more forcefully, do it like any other candidate now. It's all about negative ads and stuff. So there was a real question of, of whether Woodall would run again. And if he did, if he would um, 
take that kind of hard-nosed approach that's become so popular in politics right now. Um, so on the one hand, it's a surprise after five years in Congress, he, he announced he's leaving. He's only 48. Um, but on the other hand, um, given what would have been required of him with all of this national attention, um, I, I, I really wondered if his style would have been tenable. Yeah, he was under immense pressure, I think, from national Republicans in particular, um, not to run again because this type of campaigning requires very a lot of aggressiveness. It requires almost nonstop campaigning, as you mentioned, and um, his was a campaign that didn't really do that, right? I mean, they, they worked, they worked and worked, but um, they only ran their first real big TV ad shortly before the election. Um, it requires much more aggressive, sharp elbowed fund fundraising and a lot of campaigns and a lot of events. And look, five years ago, this wasn't even a competitive district. It was seen as not just safe, but almost a Republican lock. And we've seen how much that transforms. And let's talk a little bit about the district because we at the AJC and other national media have focused so much on the 6th district, which is the northern Atlanta suburbs just next door with the Karen Handel, John Ossoff, Lucy McBath um, districts. But we always had another eye on the 7th district because it was seen as a little more out of reach for Democrats, at least it was a year and a half ago. Um, but at the same time, it's been fast changing as well. It has most of Gwinnett County and about half of Forsyth County. The Forsyth County part is the deep Republican part that Trump won by a big margin and is the Republican bulwark of the county. But the Gwinnett part is the really fast changing part. Gwinnett used to be uh, a Republican stronghold. And we saw for the first time in 2016, it flipped blue to Hillary Clinton. And in 2018, Stacey Abrams won it with about 57% of the vote. So that just shows you how quickly that's changed. And, and that underpins that entire district. Exactly. Um, you know, we've watched that district change demographically. Now it's majority minority. That happened a few years before 2016. And, and we've kind of watched a lot of the races tighten um, tighten there since then. Um, and it, it's been pretty amazing to watch. You know, you talk to the chairman of the Democratic Party in Gwinnett, and he used to say it was such a struggle for him every year to try and find viable Democratic candidates to challenge people in state house races uh, for Congress. When Woodall ran for his boss's seat in, in 2010, he was chief of staff to John Linder for, for years. And when Linder announced his retirement in, in 2010, Woodall was one of seven or eight Republicans who were vying for that seat. They only managed to get one Democrat. And once Woodall made it through that primary, he cruised. You know, he won every he won every year by upwards of 20 percentage points. Um, but that district continued to change demographically, especially Gwinnett. And, and now it's probably one of the most, if it's not the most diverse county in Georgia, it is up there. And so it's completely changed the dynamic there there politically. And if it's not one of the if it's not the top target for Democrats in 2020 in the House, it's right up there because of the narrow margin of of Woodall's victory just a few months ago as you mentioned, 433 votes. And let's talk about the the very long list of potential candidates um, starting on the Democratic side with Carolyn Bordeaux. You you said you had that breakfast with her shortly before the announcement. Well, uh, an hour or so after the announcement, what did she do? <laughs> Her folks gave me a call and, and said, you know, we're in. We're ready to talk about it. Um, you know, they'd been laying the groundwork to, to kind of announce a run uh, next week or, or kind of in the days ahead. But they were kind of ready to broadcast this message. You know, we are in. We worked hard last year. We came just a hair short. And no one else should think that this is their, you know, we are coming back for it. 
Um, she told me that the quote she gave me is we're coming back to finish the job. Finish the job. Finish the drill, as Mark Rick would say uh, over at Georgia. But the problem for her is that, yes, she, she came out of a crowded primary herself um, last year, but now that she got this close, other Democrats see she kind of laid the groundwork in a way, and uh, she she will, un, without any doubt, face primary challenges. There's not going to be a clear field for her. Um, the question is, how many other challengers are going to get in? And we already know of of at least one, right? Exactly. Um, you know, and it'll be interesting to see how many kind of politically connected insiders get into this race. Because the benefit that she had last year, there were six Democrats who ran in the primary to challenge Woodall back in back in 18. And the benefit was that outside of, of Steve Riley, who's an attorney or Steve Riley, yeah, Riley, um, you know, an attorney who's kind of been involved in the party and had run a couple times before. No one else. They were all kind of newbies who were inspired after Donald Trump's White House win to kind of really get involved in politics. But none of them had names on their own. This will be entirely different if, if we see, for example, a sitting member of the state legislature get in on this Democratic race as well. You know, people who are connected to the, the state party who already know how to fundraise and campaign and have a reputation. Not only that, but you know, Bordeaux did not have a lot of outside help in this race. Um, you know, the, the Democratic Party provided some organizational help at the beginning, but they didn't really come in and with outside money and, and sink millions into the district. They've kind of made clear that they're going to do this uh, this year. Even before Woodall announced his retirement, the DCCC, which is the House Democrats campaign arm, they had already shortlisted that district as one of 33, you know, top races for, for 2020. So it's going to be an entirely different race from the beginning. And, and you know, some of the names that we've heard, you know, there's already one announced candidate on the Democratic side. His name is Marcus Cole. He's an attorney from Snellville, um, not a known political entity or, or anything like that. But um, he's in the race. We've also heard a couple other names. We've heard of a state rep, Brenda Lawrence, or sorry, Brenda Lopez, I'm sorry, the first Latina to be elected to the Georgia General Assembly in, in 2016, um, beat a longtime party activist and and you know, has become kind of a, a big name. We've also heard of, of State Rep Sam Park, who's the first openly gay man elected to the legislature as well. He's expressed interest, but said he's going to wait until after the legislative session to make a decision. But those could be two really big names who could make it very hard for Bordeaux going forward. And my hunch is that that um, they both won't run. They'll w One or the other will run, but either of them would be big name candidates in this district because you mentioned their history making. Um, Sam Park is the first openly gay male, and also one of the a very ha small handful of Asian Americans to serve in the Georgia legislature. And and Brenda Lopez has her own history making appeal as the first Latina elected to the Georgia legislature. They both have br bases broader than their own districts. And they they both have gone statewide speaking to a, 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 an array of audiences. And so they both are, are starting to cultivate their own uh, basis of support far outside their relatively small house districts. So that would be very interesting. And the Republican field is just as interesting because there are going to be even more names on the Republican side than the Democratic side wanting for this wide open seat. A lot of people have kind of waited their turn and now they're getting in. One of the biggest names we, we, we had heard was BJ Pack. He's a former state lawmaker, um, a Republican state lawmaker from, from, that, from that area too in Gwinnett. He's now the U.S. attorney. He has let it be known that he is not interested in that race, but many, many other Republicans are, uh, including a handful of either current state lawmakers or former state lawmakers. 
Exactly. And you have several people who have once who have run statewide races in recent years. So they already have built up some name recognition, which can really give them a, a leg up in all of this. Um, one of the big names is, is former state senator David Schaefer, who's been a longtime political power broker in, in Gwinnett, was the, the Senate uh, pro tem in, in the legislature and was only just narrowly defeated for the Republican nomination for lieutenant governor by, by Jeff Duncan. So he's a big name coming in. So is Buzz Brockway, a former state lawmaker who ran for secretary of state. We've got former state lawmaker Scott Hilton, who was defeated in the blue wave of the suburbs. Um, and he's looking to to make a comeback. We're not sure if it will be this race or another one. Um, and there's state Senator Renee Underman, who might be one of the more interesting names. Uh, she's made it she she has made it very clear that she's not happy with her Republican Senate colleagues in under the gold dome. She's one of only two women Republicans in the state Senate. And she has also represented a big chunk of that of the 7th District in the state Senate for a very long time. And she was up until very recently, the chairwoman of the Senate Health Committee, a very influential committee until a Senate leadership shakeup forced her ouster. We've also heard of several outsiders, businessmen, executives. Um, we're expecting several names to surface. One of them it already has is Rick Desai, who is close with the Brian Kemp administration. He was close to Sonny Perdue. He was appointed to a state board by by Governor Deal. Uh, he's a, he's an Indian-American businessman who would run as an outsider. And as we've seen before, that message can work in Republican politics as well. Yeah, this is such an, an interesting district because, first of all, we saw so much turnover in, in 2018 where we saw this blue wave kind of take over a lot of Atlanta's suburbs. So there are you know, quite a few ex-members of the state legislature who are maybe looking for jobs right now. It's also just a very intriguing seat because of the changing demographics in the district. There's a huge Asian American population, but it's not monolithic, right? So you have a huge, you know, Korean American community, you have a big Indian American community. It'll be interesting to see if anybody, especially on the Republican side, can try and leverage that. So that's going to be something I'm going to be closely watching as well. And it's also intriguing as we watch the Democratic side of the contest, of course, with uh, Brenda Lopez and, and Sam Park. And, you know, another interesting thing you and I were talking about the other day, Greg, was how, you know, on the Republican side, when it comes to elections, you know, I find that Republicans are very taken by the idea of a political outsider. It, it goes off this whole idea that, that um, you know, government is not the answer. You don't want these people who have served forever to keep their power. You know, you, you want to shake up government. But for Democrats, there's not that same focus on on outsiders. And Bordeaux came in, you know, she's kind of a a wonky college professor type. Uh, You know, she ran the state Senate budget office, but she is kind of a political outsider. But but for Democrats, they seem to really like having um, people with experience legislating, people with experience in the party. And so I wonder how much that's going to hurt somebody like Bordeaux going forward. And Stacey Abrams kind of stummed that up. Of course, she's the queen maker of of the Democratic Party in Georgia, the highest profile uh, one of the highest profile politicians in the nation, but certainly in Georgia. And she sent out a statement shortly after Carolyn Bordeaux announced that she was going to run again. And it, it was a statement of support for Carolyn Bordeaux, but not necessarily an endorsement. So uh, stay tuned to that. And tomorrow, we didn't even get to the other stuff. You've had a hell of a week, including an exclusive interview with President Trump. And we'll talk more about that another time. But for now, get some rest. Great week. Well, Daryl, thank you. And now for round two, 
Round two. I'm joined. That was the voice of Ariel Hart, the AJC's top-notch healthcare reporter. How's it going, Ariel? It's going pretty good, Greg. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us on the on the heels of a pretty big announcement from from Brian Kemp. We saw this coming, but we now have it pinned down. Uh, Brian Kemp this week supposedly uh, we expect this week the Brian Kemp administration to introduce legislation that would call for not one but two separate waivers the first one is called an affordable care act waiver it's meant to stabilize insurance premiums the second one is a little bit more of big uh, of different sort of news because we saw the first one come up the second one is going to be a Medicaid waiver that could pave the way to a limited Medicare expansion right yes it could it's a big deal well let's talk a little about that because Kemp throughout the whole campaign, kind of stuck the same chord as most other Republican leaders like Governor Deal, saying that a Medicaid expansion in Georgia is too costly in the long term to work. But this waiver process could clear a more limited expansion that could put tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people on the rolls with what what leaders like to say is a conservative alternative to do it. That's right. Um, It it all depends on what the parameters of your waiver are. And if you want to say that it's not Medicaid expansion, you can do that just depending on what you want to say the meaning of the word is. is. Um, It's uh, a Medicaid expansion in the medical world, traditionally in the expert fields, is is meant as outright expansion. You don't have any new um, tailored uh, parameters for it. But when we say a waiver, that means you're going to do maybe Medicaid expansion, but you're going to have your own special rules for it that you think are better tailored for your own state. And several states have used this waiver process to expand Medicaid their own way. We've talked a lot about um, Kentucky, mm. Arkansas, That's right. Indiana. Indiana has has one of the models that Georgia's looking at. That model uses work requirements. Can That's you talk right. a little about what that means? Yeah. So the idea is that um, if you're going to get medical care for free from the state, we want you to also either have a job or be looking for a job or depending on how the state wants to define it be um, you know trying to use your time in some useful way and um, no state has yet been able to actually implement that except for Arkansas because they got theirs underway before a court challenge all the others so far have either just not gotten underway yet or been halted by a court challenge gotcha and so far Governor Kemp's office says that he's going to use, he put a million dollars in the state budget to hire a consultant to look at all the options. And what his office is saying so far is that all options are on the table. This consultant is going to go back and the consultant will not be a former health secretary, Tom Price. They, they, they put that on the record. But that consultant would go back and put pretty much every uh, a range of options on the table. It could be full-on expansion. It could be very, very limited expansion. It could just be getting more flexibility to use federal dollars that that wouldn't add anyone to the rolls. And then it will be up to one person, and that's Governor Kemp, to decide which alternative to use. That's right. That's our understanding of what they want to do. Um, And actually, the million dollars will probably be matched, I understand, Mm -hmm. by the federal government. So it's a $2 million consulting contract or or team of contracts. And there is a desire from Kemp and other Republicans who are open to this to get this done sooner than later. So they're looking at getting the, the waiver submitted and, in their view, hopefully approved by 2020. 
just in time. Surprise. Yeah, just in time for an election. <laughs> and there's a lot of Republicans, especially those in the suburbs, who are really concerned about this issue. They saw a wave of Democratic victories all across northern metro Atlanta. Poll after poll shows that Medicaid expansion is not just supported by a broad majority of Democrats, but also by a majority of Republicans, Republicans too. Exactly. It's very interesting, um, you know, because Medicaid expansion is Medicaid expansion is something that came out um, as a result of the Affordable Care Act, the Obamacare law, and that was so controversial among the Republican base. But when you look at Republicans broadly now, and certainly the general population of Georgia. They want it. They're in favor of it. They want it out of the way. The legislation will be introduced, as we mentioned, this week, and Brian Kemp is also planning somewhat of a publicity blitz around it. We're not sure exactly what that will entail, but they've got social media plans getting ready. He's going to go on a listening tour where he talks to voters about their concerns with health care. Uh, he, he started formulating this plan way back in August on the campaign trail where he went to a rural hospital that was in danger of being closed down in Cook County in, a, in a, Adel, Georgia. So expect him to not just visit Metro Atlanta, but also focus on rural Georgia, places where he racked up huge margins in November. Very much so. And one of the things that kind of interests me is that we saw him planting little seeds in his communications through the campaign. I wrote a story on rural health care and the doctor shortage. You know, nine counties in Georgia have no doctor whatsoever. Half of Georgia counties have no OBGYN. And he ret- or he uh, um, commented on that story or reposted it on Facebook saying, basically, we need to deal with this. Georgia is one of just 14 states that have not expanded Medicaid, and the states that have include liberal California, conservative Indiana. But in Georgia, legislation that passed in 2014, right before Governor Deal's first re-election, his re-election campaign, required lawmakers to approve of any sort of waiver process. That's why we're going through this legislation. What is the early reaction you've heard from state lawmakers? I think it spans um, a large spectrum. You've got Democrats saying, you know, we should just outright expand Medicaid. It's the simplest and easiest and fastest thing to do. You've got very conservative Republicans saying, why are we going to do this? Why is there a million dollars of our taxpayer money in the budget to even look at this? And then you've got folks in the middle uh, probably a lot of those folks who are worried about those suburban Atlanta districts who are open to it. Well, Ariel, I have a feeling this is going to cake up not just the rest of the session for you or much of the rest of the session for you, but also a lot of the next year. You, uh, I would not be surprised if that were so, and hopefully I'll have help from my ace scoop reporter, Greg. You, we're going to be right there with you. Thanks for joining us. Ariel. Thank you. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Hip hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song. The celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents. Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. 
Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word, AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.